The VGRT Gaming Podcast, episode 648, recorded on April 25th, 648th edition of the TD Gaming Podcast and 481st episode of Video Game Roundtable. I am TJ Denzer. I am Scott Turk. And I am Jonah Falcon. The BGRT Gaming Podcast focuses on game news from around the industry with a gaming flashback. So, um, we're going to what have you been playing? Um, I've started playing Hue, which is an older game, but there's not really anything else that I'm interested in right now, and it's on Game Pass, and I decided to play it. Uh, for those who don't know, think of Limbo, except you change the colors. You change colors to remove them, like uh, uh, switching to blue will remove all the blue blocks and so on and so forth. It's basically a puzzle game. What have you been playing, TJ? Well, I got a chance to play the new Dune Spice Wars ahead of its early access release tomorrow. Okay. Um, not to date this episode, but like... Um, it's about to come to it's it'll be out in early access by the time this this episode airs. But uh, I uh, <clears throat> I've very much been looking forward to this game. I love Dune and I love uh, strategy games. And uh, this comes from the folks at Shiro Games who have worked on Northgard and War Tales, a few other uh, strategy and RPG style games. Um, essentially, this game is. Uh, it's 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 real time strategy, but with 4K elements, kind of like Stellaris. You can uh, you can pause the game at any point and single. I, they only have single player right now. I think they're eventually going to add multiplayer later. And I don't even have a tutorial yet. <laughs> uh, they have an okay tutorial in there. Uh, you could, uh, it like guides you through the basics of of unit spawning, combat, spice harvesting, all that jazz. Um, the factions are pretty neat. Like I wasn't sure what they'd be able to do with just four factions in the game, but um, they have the usuals. They have the House of Trades, who are kind of like a peace-loving and political group. Uh, Harkonnen, which are more brutal and uh, and uh, militarily apt. Um, and then they have the Smugglers Guild, which uh, they the they, Smugglers uh, Guild. Yeah, the Smugglers Guild. Um, they, uh, they played a role in this if they helped him with, like, intel on Hold the on, stop, 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 stop. Um, hold on. Uh, this is ridiculous. What's happening? Uh, the micro, the microphone came out, and now it's re- resetting from the beginning again. Oh, no. Um, that's okay. I'll just append this one to the next one. Uh, just start from, from the beginning of your description. After I spoke. Um, the Smuggler's Guild? Okay. Uh, they're basically like... In the books, they uh, they are kind of like... They have operations on Arrakis, and Leto looks the other way to... Uh, Leto Atreides looks the other way and lets them run their things as long as they give him intel. Um, in this game, they, they're good at spycraft and economics. 
Um, and then finally, and then lastly, you have the Fremen, which uh, Fremen are able to survive on the planet better than any of the other groups and uh, move their troops faster. Um, they're not necessarily the strongest troops, but they excel at like ambushes and stuff. Um, I really enjoyed the game. I, I it's everything I've kind of wanted a, a Dune game to be because typically in the past, like the Dune strategy games, they're all about combat, and that's part of like Westwood's legacy. Th- those were Westwood games. Those that's their legacy: real time strategy, warfare. But Dune is about so much more. It's about spycraft. It's about subterfuge it's about politics between the different like groups and and their operations with uh, the emperor and all that jazz and so to have a game that actually explores the the like diplomacy and negotiation and like actual settlements and and like all that jazz is i'm i'm really happy with what shiro games has set up for this uh, early access and i'm really interested to see where they go with it over the course of the year I just wish they would have a, a, a video game adaptation of the Dune board, the original Dune board game. Um, I have never seen it or played it. Wow. You want a game that's really dense and packed, which really captures Dune, play that. Not the new Dune board game, but the one that's the old Dune board game. Which, uh, had alliances and... A lot of overpowered, like if you play the Emperor, you you get all the money from from uh, bids. They just give you all the bids, the money for the bids. The um, House of Trades knows exactly where all the spice is and all that stuff. You know, every single house is overpowered, and there are, I believe, seven factions. Like the Bene Gesserit. Um, every time someone sends down an army, uh, they can send one of their units with them. <laughs> and then split off from mm-hmm. them. And if you happen to have a traitor, um, you instantly you can insta kill someone's army because the traitor. It's just so dense. Um, it's unbelievable to play. They actually remade it recently, and they have another Dune board game, but it's not quite the same. Hmm. Uh, you should give this a try if you get a chance. Like both of you should, because uh, I know both of you like Civilization. I know you like uh, that style of game, and I think you would maybe enjoy what they have here so far. I uh, I really enjoyed the fact that like with each of the factions, when you start the game, they they each each faction has like its own uh, bonuses that it gets, like any Civilization faction, but one of the more interesting aspects is that you have each faction has four advisors that you that you start by picking two at the beginning of the game and they all have drastically different bonuses like like for the for the uh Ufer Howitt. what's that Ufer Howitt and UA yeah so through for Howitt he was a mentat, right? right? He was like the he was like the spy master of Atreides. So if you pick him, he gives you a bonus in spycraft. Whereas if you pick Gurney Halleck was Patrick uh, was Patrick Stewart in the movie. <laughs> whereas if you pick Gurney Halleck, he will uh, give your troops more experience and make them stronger in combat. If you pick Lady Jessica, yeah. uh, sh- she was a part. Of, I think sh- she was like the Bene Gesserit. Right? She, yeah, she was a member of the Bene Gesserit, and she married uh, Duke Leto. Much to the mother uh, grandmother's thing, because they wanted to have a. She was not supposed to give him a son. She was only supposed to give him a daughter. 
Mm-hmm. Well, if you choose her, you can actually uh, force other factions to take a tre- to take a negotiation treaty with you, like like for either economics or science. Right. And they have to have enough like diplomacy points to shirk off your treaty, treaty, or they can't deny it. Was there a UA who was played by Dean Stockwell in the movie? I can't remember if I saw. I can't remember if I saw UA, but like there is a pretty lot dark, of characters. I'm, I'm pretty sure the uh, the Harkonnens have the Beast Raban and Fade Rautha. <laughs> yeah, so like if you only get to you get you get a choice of four advisors and you only get to choose two of them, so you can really change up how your faction plays, but depending on which advisors you pick. And I really think that's a really cool way to diversify the gameplay, even playing as the same faction. What did you play, T uh, Scott? I finished uh, playing Tunic. I did, you finished uh, it? Their par- yep, I finished it. Uh, you managed to get past those bosses? Hmm? You managed to get past the bosses? <coughs> yeah, there's there's two uh, ways to uh, deal with the boss. There's a, I guess, a violence path and a share your wisdom. And, uh, or you could say, I guess, peaceful. Uh, but it, both are very hard to do. One is, well, you know, just through combat, and the other is solving uh, just really high-level puzzles that are really hard to, to do. And, you know, like, just, yeah, I mean, they are, they are, I guess, the souls of... It's funny how this game has combined souls and missed puzzle uh, combined into one game, and it's just amazing. Uh, it's been really game of the year for me. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. Cool. Hello? Is everybody still there? Is everything I'm here. Something went quiet? I, I, yeah, I, I didn't <laughs> want to get... I, I don't want to give too many spoilers because it's a very new game, and I know TJ uh, should play it. Yeah, TJ, yeah. what's going on I with you there? I really enjoy it. Uh, it has good music. Um, You've just been hungering for this and, game for the past few years. You, know, and you just collect the manual pages and you read uh, the book. And you can, of course, translate the rune language. It's uh, really challenging. And I'll, you will probably want pencil and paper. This is definitely one of those games that uh, <clears throat> you do well to write, take notes and Try to do some puzzle solving on paper. Yeah, TJ's been hungering for this game for the past few years, and he's not having played it yet, even though it's been delayed, it, it and, delayed was and delayed and delayed. And it's it really delayed. Was. I was fully expecting a just, you know, Zelda-like clone kind of game, and just being fine with that, you know, just a, a, a Zelda filler for the time. But it was so much more than that. It, it really was, and it made me so happy. It, it exceeded my expectations. I still prefer Super Lucky's Tale. As long as May is quiet, which it's looking like it will be, the only thing that... Really? really no. There's. Uh, what are you talking about? May's not going to be quiet. The only thing I see that really matters to me is... Uh, <laughs> to you. Aiden Cro- <laughs> to Ayudin Chronicle. Everything else looks kind of eh. Oh, yeah. Ayudin Chronicle Rising is coming out this May, May 10th. Um, so, and it's like $15 if you haven't backed it so it's a good price what about trek to yomi that one looks good and you have unsold coming out actually that's coming out in in april (laughs) live alive is coming in june or july and i'm looking forward to that one 
Yeah, but I'm really looking forward to Bug Snacks on Game Pass that I can get some achievements. Oh, yeah. Um, another game that's coming to Game Pass is This War of Mine Final Cut. And I own This War of Mine, but I still haven't played through it at all. So, I mean, well, here's the thing. This War of Mine is kind of hitting, you know, the Ukraine is, 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 is dealing with it for reals this time. Anyways, hmm. we're going to move on to the gaming flashback. Take it away, TJ. Alright. Our gaming flashback is Skylanders Spyro's Adventure. Skylanders Spyro's Adventure is the first video game in the Skylanders series. It is a 3D action adventure platform game that is played along, along with toy figures that interact with it through a portal of power that reads their tag through near field communication. Players take on the role of a portal master who can control over 30 different Skylanders, including the Purple Dragon Spyro, by placing their figurine on the Portal of Power. These heroes are protectors of an amazing, mysterious world, but they have been ejected from their world by the sinister, dark portal master known as Chaos. And now they are frozen and shrunken down on Earth as toys. Due to the lack of magic in the human world, the Skylanders are petrified, and only the players of Skylanders Spyro's Adventure can get them back to their end their world. Once back in their home world, the Skylanders embark on a fantastical journey where they will explore mythical lands, battle menacing outlandish creatures, collect treasures, and solve challenging puzzles as part of the quest to save their world. Activision announced that as of June 3rd, 2012, the game had been a top-selling console and handheld video game worldwide. As of March 31st, 2012, Activision had sold has sold over 30 million Skylanders toys, and sales were expected to exceed 500 million by the end of the year. A direct sequel, Skylanders Giants, was released in 2012 for the the Nintendo 3DS, PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, Wii, and Wii U. Which launched the old Toys for Life uh, genre. A, a, A genre that lasted far too short, sad to say. The only, the only one that survived were the Amiibos. Yeah, the Nintendo Amiibos uh, are still going pretty strong, I think, because you can use them on the Switch. The Toys to Life, uh, the Toys to Life genre is the one that got Disney to just give up on video games for a long time. <laughs> and um, the one that had the most promising, the one that was most promising to me was Lego because they had so many IPs they could go with. They had Back to the Future and The Simpsons and Ghostbusters and all these various things that you can include. And basically, they shot themselves in the foot. I mean, they didn't... For one thing, Activision did what it always does, and that is it just sucked the life out of it, you know? It's like, Guitar Hero, they're just going to pump it out and pump it out and pump it out and pump it out until people are sick of it. And that's what they did with Skylanders. Because I, I went to the E3 in which Skylanders was announced, and they, it was really weird. Their thing just had these giant figurines coming out in these puffs of smoke. It's like... And I was like, what the hell is this? The only thing I knew is, hey, it's Spyro. He's back. Because remember, Spyro at this point had been gone for like a decade or something. And it's like, there was a return of Spyro. And people were excited about that. I Toys for Life was, uh, was an interesting concept. Because you know what? If you buy the toys, hey, there's still figurines. And we all know nerds like to collect figurines. 
That's why uh, the Amiibos are still hot. People don't really care if they're they work with any Nintendo thing. They're just cute little figurines to have. I mean, who doesn't want Yoshi on their on their uh, desk drawer? Yeah, I love the Amiibo figures. They're really fun. And uh, Paul was obsessive with the Disney characters, and he he's his entire point of going to uh, E3 was to stand in line to get the special Amiibo, uh, special Disney characters. That's all he did there was just stand in line for hours to collect <laughs> collect Disney characters. Well, he was also working for the Disney booth, so you know, well, a different Disney booth. I only uh, stayed with him in line once just to keep him company because uh, uh, E3 was about to close, and you know. But yeah. Hmm. Yeah, like I think. One of the one of the huge limitations of each of these Toys to Life things was that they only ever worked for one game, and that's kind of what makes the Nintendo Amiibos better for the most part is that they work across multiple games. Like you can, I can take a I can take a Bowser Amiibo, and I can make and I can either train it up as a bot in Smash Bros, or I can unlock different outfits and vehicles in, in uh, Mario Kart. Or I can unlock power-ups in a Mario game. It's like that—that's kind of the smart thing that Nintendo did with their Toys to Life is that a single figure can be used across multiple games in perpetuity. I remember Skylanders Giants too. That was the one with the gigantic figurines. And it would be nice if you could, yeah, you, you could be nice if you could use the previous figurines with the new game. You know, just make make the new game like a a, a full scale, uh, ex, you know, full game expansion. Yeah, and like I, I don't. I like the Skylanders figures. I think I actually still have a few of my old ones. Uh, they eventually did an expansion that added vehicles, and I have a few special editions from when that particular set came out. And here's the thing, you know, even though the games are gone, you still have the you still have the figurines that you can just place on, on like Chachkas. Mm-hmm. But it's sad. I mean, hopefully. You know, I, I don't see why uh, Toys Life can't come back. They just have to be smarter about it. Yeah, I mean, I think I really think that Nint- that Nintendo is the way you have to go. It has to be a thing where like the toys can't just exist for one game because then well, years later, who's playing that game and where will you use the toy? Actually, you know what? I just realized. You know, if they do come with new Skylanders, they should allow them to use the old Skylanders figurines, all of them, just so that they could say, <laughs> you know, you already have a collection. <laughs> Hmm. Anyways, we're going to move on to game news. Uh, first game news. The Bethesda launcher will be shut down on May 11th. This comes from some PC Gamer. Back in February, Bethesda announced plans to cease the Bethesda launcher. Those plans have since been elaborated in an update to a blog post about sunsetting the launcher and migrating to Steam. According to the blog, if you do have games through the Bethesda.net launcher, don't worry. Starting on April 27th, you can migrate your games and wallet to your Steam account. Detailed instructions on what to do will be provided on April 27th. Some games will have their saves transfer automatically, while others will require manually copying them into a relevant folder. Bethesda writes, at this time, we expect almost all save progress to be transferable automatically or manually, with the exception of Wolfenstein Youngblood, which is currently unable to transfer. A little hint, no one cares. That game is so bad. That game is awful. DLC and in-game currency will automatically transfer, which is good news. The Bethesda launcher will remain up and running until about May 11th, but even if you don't get all your games transferred over to Steam by that time, you'll still be able to transfer them after that. 
Don't throw away your Bethesda.net login details either. For games that require it, you'll still use your Bethesda.net login to sign in and play, which makes sense uh, with the games like Fallout uh, 76. Your Bethesda.net account will not be lost and will still be accessible to our website and in-game, and we will continue, uh, we will continue support, uh, supporting all Bethesda.net accounts with our future titles. So a lot of people are happy about this. <laughs> Yeah, the Bethesda launcher is pretty much trash. Um, yeah, and like that comes from an era where like everybody, everybody has their own launcher now. You have to launch different, like depending on what game you play, you have to pick one of your six launchers from any different company. And like you know, it's for most of them, it's literally it's just literally that company's group, like EA or Ubisoft or Bethesda. You know, and Bethesda's in particular was just like uh, horribly unoptimized and just cumbersome. What I'm thinking about right now is remember Microsoft's also buying Activision Blizzard, and it makes me wonder what that that bodes for Battle.net. Yeah, I don't know, because Battle.net is a pretty established, not even just as a launcher, but like as a multiplayer service. I mean, I could see Microsoft just melding melding it in as well. Uh, I don't think you can get any of their games on on Steam, though. You can't get, like, Diablo on Steam, can you? I don't think so. Actually, nowadays, you even have to... I think you even have to run Call of Duty through the Battle.net launcher. You can can get uh, the Elder Scroll games, Morrowind and Oblivion. Yeah, Diablo's not on Steam. And I know I have Fallout 4 on there as well. Yeah, but I think it still launches through the Bethesda launcher, doesn't it? No. It doesn't? It only launches through Steam. I think if you buy the games through Bethesda, uh, it's, um, you know, they have the launcher. Um, So they're merging everything, which is fine. And Microsoft has... Go ahead. When I launch uh, Fallen Order, it doesn't uh, launch the EA uh, launcher anymore. It It just plays right through Steam. I'm not sure how that works that way, but it does. I mean, hmm. uh, Microsoft has no bones about just, you know, putting their games on Steam, too. So it's they have a relationship there. Yeah. So, I mean, if you and they also, you know, they have cross platform play. So if you play Fallout 4 off the uh, Windows launcher, uh, which is basically the Game Pass launcher or from Steam, you're still getting the same experience. You don't have to, you know, log in through separate like. Like with Uplay, which everybody hates, even on on console, you have to log into Uplay. Unfortunately, there's an auto-login on on console. And uh, a lot of things, you know, like uh, good old games just puts all the launchers in their thing. So they're like one single launch. You can play your Steam games from them. You know, you can – well, you don't – well, it isn't that they replace Steam. It's just that they make it a quick quick connect. It'll just automatically log into Steam and play your game from Steam. The days of having your own individual launchers are going away. Um, I think it's because I think Valve has let up a bit on what they're charging for people, which is why a lot of people are more okay with having their games on on uh, on Steam. Mm -hmm. Anyways, we're going to move on to the next item. Uh, Go ahead, Scott. Okay. PlayStation 5 finally getting variable refresh rate support this week. This is from Eurogamer. 
Sony has confirmed it'll finally start rolling out variable refresh rate support to PlayStation 5 in the in the next few days, with patches to implement feature across variety of games, including Spider-Man and Resident Evil, set to follow in the coming weeks. VR dynamically syncs refresh rate of HDMI 2.1 VRR compatible TVs and PC monitors to PlayStation 5's graphical output helping as Sony puts in its announcement post to minimize or eliminate visual artifacts, including fairing pacing issues and screen tearing. VRR will enable through a console update over the next few days, according to Sony, and 14 titles will be receiving patches to introduce VR support to the coming weeks. Sony says there are just a few of the PlayStation 5's titles planned to receive VR support, noting that some featured titles may also ship the feature in place. Furthermore, the week's update will give players the option of applying VR to unsupported PS5 titles, which Sony notes may improve video quality for some games. Why wasn't this implemented in the first place? It's like the te- it's like the 1440p uh, entire thing. Do they not know that a lot of PlayStation owners play on 2K and 4K TVs? Yeah. Or monitors, actually, no. I mean... There have been a lot of very, very, very slow things in the in the rollout of PS5 features. They don't like. Remember when they put a freaking M2 SSD port in the thing and then didn't activate it for like a year? I have no idea why uh, how you how how that's possible. Oh, we have a port for something, <laughs> but guess what? It doesn't work now. It doesn't work, and we'll turn it on later when it does. And then like a year passes, <laughs> and people are like, oh, like a month or so. <laughs> Said Sony. On the other hand, you know, people have been able to get the PS5. I mean, there's like 20 people who own one right now, including you. Mm-hmm. But, like, I mean, better late than never, right? I'm glad <laughs> that this is coming. I, I'm glad that they're making the PS5 be able to do what the PS5 should be able to do. It's weird that uh, that it has to, that like... It's weird how slow the rollout of certain features for this is. Like, they only just got chat rooms and uh and a uh, PS5 where the where they had that stuff for PS4 just like as a general feature, and it's odd to me. Like, I don't necessarily use chat rooms in PS and PlayStation just because I don't like talking to randos. <laughs> but um, and usually when randos talk to me, it's to say mean things. But <laughs> it's weird. It's weird that it took that long to implement a basic feature like that that was just already there. Now I gotta get a PS5 just so I can be in a chat room with you and say mean things. <laughs> don't say mean things to me, or I'll say mean things back. God of War is overrated, <laughs> damn it! I don't like God I'm of nice, War. <laughs> I'm a nice guy. You, uh, <laughs> I'm a nice guy until people try to troll me. Horizon, what? What? What is that game? I don't. It looks like a piece of shit. <laughs> No, you. <laughs> we're gonna move on. But, um, we're gonna move on to the next Sony news. Uh, go ahead, TJ. Sony wants someone to shape its PlayStation PC plans. This comes from PC Games N. There have been a number of major PlayStation exclusives ported to PC recently, including the likes of God of War, Horizon Zero Dawn, and Days Gone. And by all accounts, this plan has proved very successful for Sony, and it's not surprising that the publisher is seeking to expand its plans. As Sony posted online via Reddit, 
It's hiring a senior director in charge of PC planning and strategy with the aim of delivering a single optimized PC sales growth and commercial plan. Excuse me. To implement alongside global storefront partners such as Steam and Epic. The role's various listed responsibilities include leading PC growth, increasing PC monthly monthly active users, users with content and meeting and meeting the needs of our players. The listing does mention developing a global PC store strategy and process, but this could refer to the likes of Steam rather than a hint that PlayStation may, of PlayStation making its own PC focused client. Yeah, there we go. There's another storefront we need, right? <laughs> yeah. The infamous GeForce Now leak, leak from last year has, sent, has since had many major games proven real, including PlayStation ports such as God of War and Uncharted. The leak also listed the likes of Demon's Souls, Ghost of Tsushima, Returnal, Horizon Forbidden West, Gran Turismo 7, and Ratchet and Clank. So it's possible these ports are in the pipeline, too. You know, a name isn't there that I know a lot of people care about, and that's Bloodborne. Yes. Well... Bloodborne uh, Bloodborne was rumored, but it was never in that particular leak. Dang a ring. I didn't know Bloodborne wasn't on PC. Oh. It was was rumored for a long time. Like when, 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 uh, what was the first one that came out from? I think it was Days Gone. When Days Gone and Heroes of Your Dawn first came out, and this was before God of War was out, people were saying, oh, what's next? Bloodborne? Is Sony going to release Bloodborne on PC? And I think that's the number one game that everybody wants on on PC, even more than Demon's Souls. They want Bloodborne. Yeah, there's a there's a amazing there's an amazingly dedicated fan base specifically for Bloodborne. Even among the even among the Souls community, like Bloodborne in particular, is one that. I would say an extraordinary amount of fans flock to. Well, aside from having blood in the title, I, it's, I think it's because it has a completely different type of um, world that it, it's involved in. You know, the other places are all in these fantasy areas. You know, and Bloodborne is uh, Bloodborne is a lot more gritty and urban. Yeah, gothic, Victorian, steampunk, all that jazz. Eldritch. All sorts of things that usually like there's some of that in Demon Souls, but not nearly as much as it is in Bloodborne. Yeah, I mean, Bloodborne is basically, you know, it's it's not elves and dwarves. Let's put it that way. You're going to fight a you're going to go fight a Cthulhu in your top. Hat <laughs> with, your, well, with your with your makeshift axe and and uh, and scraggly clockwork revolver. I'll say this, uh, you know, it. The Order 201886 is glad it's there so it can just hide behind its frilly things. We're not the we're not the steampunk game that people are going to play and just ignore us. Just look at that other game. Did you? Yeah. What's it? No, I was about to say, did you play Order 1886? No, but like, I I hear from people that like the story in that game is worth seeing, even if the gameplay isn't all that great. I know a lot of people who suspect that the game is was rushed and um, and it was cut. It, it things were cut out of it because it hints at four player co op, which is not in the game. There's a lot of detailed areas that are blocked off, you know, that like no, we can't use this area, and they just like and it it, it just screams. This was a big game that was just rushed so that it could be a P, uh, PlayStation 4 launch title. 
Hmm. Which was basically uh, as a tech demo. It was reduced into a, a glorified tech demo. So we'll never know what the so, someone is going to talk about what the Order 1886 was supposed to be. Anyways, hmm. well, go ahead, TJ. Oh, I didn't have much more to say on that. Okay. Anyways, Baldur's Gate official, uh, Baldur's Gate three officially gets its 2023 release window. And this comes from some Shack News. Larian Studios has been hard at work at getting Baldur's Gate 3 ready for fans across the world. It looks like its journey in early access will continue for another year. Larian just released a Journey So Far trailer looking back at what has been added to the game in early access so far, and it ended for the fact that Baldur's Gate 3, Baldur's Gate's 3, Baldur's Gate 3's full release won't arrive until 2023. This detail was released in the recent Baldur's Gate 3, um, you know, here's the thing. This was released during PAX East, which I did not go to for the first time since its inception. And I don't feel particularly bad about it because PAX Unplugged is now my jam. And basically all I did at PAX East was go to the board game section. Anyways, um, this coincides with off-the-cuff suggestions from Larian Studios founder and Baldur's Gate 3 creative director Sven Vick, who previously said in an official capacity that he didn't expect the game would launch in 2022. Now, here's the thing. Um, since the early access game is out and people are enjoying it, I think they don't feel any special rush to get it out this year anyway, you know? Yeah, it sounds like they've still got a lot of things they want to do before they want to call it a 1.0. So there's no harm in waiting for this, I think. I mean, if if you're in early access, you're in early access already, and you're probably enjoying yourself. If not, then I don't know. I, th- I feel like this is worth waiting for. I'm going to say this. If you like Mass Effect... And you like RPGs, you really enjoy this one because um, the conversation system is very Mass Effect like. Well, actually, it's more like Dragon Age Origins like because it's not. There's no, you know, there's no morality rating. As a matter of fact, that's one of the problems I had when it first came out was that everybody was just so morally. De- everyone was so morally depressing <laughs> that, you know. It's like Larry and forgot, you know, there is lawful good in the D&D universe. You know, there is, you know, chaotic good. You know, not everybody is lawful neutral or true neutral or neutral evil. You know, I don't need morally vague people. I want to be, you know, sometimes I just want to be a hero. And, you know, they did lighten it up. Some of the characters now can be out and out heroic. So, uh, but yeah, I know, uh. Scott, you'll probably be pleased. Um, it isn't like, you know, the Divinity games in that, you know, in style, but it is everything like Divinity in terms of combat. And um, and if you can think of it, it'll happen. Right. Yeah, they have a lot of interacting with the environment, and they seem to have included every possible uh, thing you can do with uh, the NPCs and other characters and rolling your dice for everything. I remember um, I, I talked about this a couple of months ago, and one of your one of your companions, Asterion, is a vampire, right? Mm-hmm. And um, if you're a druid, you know, you'll tell him he'll he'll agree. Okay, we won't we won't we won't eat. I won't drink the blood of anything that can talk to us. And then he'll add that since you're a druid and can talk to animals, that sort of limits his 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 uh his his range a bit. 
Mm-hmm. I think that's a great bit of lore. And then, like, and, but the funny thing is that uh, someone said someone should remind him that he could talk to plants too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like, and that's the kind of stuff that makes me understand why this game is taking another year to hit its 1.0. They are putting so much into this, like making sure that that. Like straight up, like little things like cl- like classes affect the story, and like I really enjoy people who pay close attention to detail, especially in a choice driven game. That's one of the things that made uh that made what was it? Oh God, Pathfinder: Wrath of the Righteous. That's what made that game my favorite RPG last year. I only have Pathfinder Kingmaker. You got it. Like if you if you love a well. I've been playing the other Pathfinder, the first Pathfinder. I haven't played it in a while, but I have it. Wrath of the Righteous is, I would say, better because they spent a lot of effort on making sure that your choices matter. Like, don't get disposed of down the line based off how much there is going on in the game. There are things that you do or that you do in Wrath of the Righteous that will have massive effects on much much later ventures and like the even small things have effect on much later ventures nothing gets left by the wayside and that was kind of an issue they had to work on with uh kingmaker you know that reminds me i haven't finished tyranny yet either yeah that's a good one i love that game um but yeah i uh i'm really looking forward to what they like what, even just like what they do with this year and and Baldur's Gate three because the stuff they added between even now and when they started is pretty dang cool. And the thing is that you know, like I said, a lot of the stuff in it is already dense and it's still in in early access. I mean, um, I'm actually enjoy it really. Here's the thing: whenever I play a D and D game, you know how I test to see if it's good or not. I play a rogue or a thief. Because that is the hardest thing to get right in these games, is to play someone who's a thief. Like, I played Dun- Dungeons & Dragons Online a long time ago, and being a thief only meant, oh, you can, yeah, you, you can, uh, you can backstab and you can find traps. That's about it. <laughs> There's nothing really special about doing it. Here, you're a thief, you know, you're talking to this, this Keefling, who's a, who's a little con artist, and if you have the background for it, you can call him out on everything that he's doing, and just, what's it called, completely, you know, show them there's a bigger fish. My favorite thing is that I uh, I don't rip them off, and I'd simply say, yeah, good luck with that kid. And the kid laughs and says, okay, he'll he'll focus on the real pigeons. Hmm. That's interesting. I like that. Yeah. It's, it's a very – I haven't gone very far with it because I already know that, you know, it's still an early access, and I don't want to spoil everything for myself, so I just – Stick to the like the first few hours of the game, you know, and then I stop for a long while because they they recently had a hot fix. They're they're constantly putting hot fixes in there, and um, I just play to see how it's updated. You know, I'm not gonna really go full bore on it until its final release. Uh, and Scott, I'm gonna tell you this: you're gonna be really pleased with it. It's already good enough on its own as an early access game. It's if if the, the final game is definitely going to be something special. I hope so. And here's the thing about Larian. Uh, they're one of the rare studios that actually cares about their the IP. 
you know, that actually respects the Dungeons & Dragons license, you know? And so does the people at Pathfinder, except they don't have the D&D license, so they just do everything except call it (laughs) D&D. Yeah. Yeah. Pathfinder is a weird thing, and, like, I I really kind of hope that after... They did a good job with Wrath of the Righteous, so I kind of hope that, uh, that, uh, Albert, I think it's Al, was it Alcat? Yeah, it's Alcat Games. Um, I, ha- I kind of hope that their next project is Starfinder. I hope their next project oh. is Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2. <laughs> Starfinder, uh, liches are basically a mafia that would <laughs> 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 operate on the sense that they can't die, so they've seen it all, so they just do space crimes. And that's what I I want to be a part of that life. That reminds me, you know, Vampire the Masquerade Swan Song is coming out soon. And right now the bundle includes uh, the Coteries of New York. And I'm thinking about picking it up, although I could just buy Coteries of New York for three dollars right now. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I wish Larry had been given the license for Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2. At least I know it would be done by uh, 2025, 2026, whenever that fucking game is coming out. Don't worry, there's all sorts of other Vampire the Masquerade games coming out in the meantime. I'm very aware of that. quality. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Um, Vampire the Masquerade, Courtesy of New York, and its sequels are visual novels, but you know, I'm, I'm up with that. I'm fine with a visual novel. That's fine. But don't you want to play a free-to-play Battle Royale Vampire the Masquerade game? <laughs> there's, a, uh, there's actually a collectible card game now based on Vampire the Masquerade, which is really hot. Uh, it's an actual board, it's actual cards, not a not a video game. But I'm avoiding that because it's like it's gonna have a billion expansions. It's gonna cost five hundred dollars to buy everything with it. You know, I've already I've already spent a lot of money on Nemesis. I don't need to spend more money on that. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, and Matt. it's it's so it's I'm sad that Werewolf the Apocalypse that game was so mediocre because yeah. There's so many good, you know, the, the darkness. Oh, and the darkness MMO. I mean, that's something I would. That's something that I would, I would return to MMOs for. Was the uh, World of Darkness MMO? Because you have Hunter the Reckoning and what? The only the only World of Darkness thing that I've cared about enough to see it through was Vampire. Vampire was not. That was not a. That was not a World of Darkness game. I think it is. No, it was an original IP. What are you talking about? Vampire was not For a. Sure. It was not a I'm World sure of Darkness game. Of it Darkness. was not a World of Darkness game. No, it wasn't. No, it had its own terminology. Like ghouls are called scowls, and vampires are called econ. No one calls vampires econ in the World of Darkness universe. They're called kindred. It was not a World of Darkness game. Okay, fair enough. I thought it was. No. My bad. I know. Uh, we're hungry enough for vampire games. He had that really bad vampire game called Dark a couple of years ago. Vampire was at least interesting. Like, I'm, I'm not saying it was all that great. Like, the combat was very sub, was very mediocre. But the idea that you could, like, that the people that you interacted with and let live and, <laughs> and worked with could, like, cause the... What could cause a district to either flourish or just outright die until it's taken over by the 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 ferals? I think I forget what they called them, but like what the econs? In, in the ones, 
The ones that lose their sense of self. I can't remember if they're called Econs. No, I think they're the Scowls. Yeah, they're Scowls. They're, they're, yeah, they're driven mad by vampire blood. Mm-hmm. I thought that was an extra, I thought it was really interesting, the whole district system they had in that game. You know what's really funny is the um, guy who played uh, the lead character, Jonathan Reed, Anthony Howell, he was in that other uh, – he was in the Call of Cthulhu game too as Edward Pierce. And they both looked exactly alike. <laughs> you remember? Edward Pierce mm-hmm. in Call of Cthulhu and Jonathan Reed in Vampire looked exactly the same and they were the same voice actor published by the same company. Mm-hmm. Just really, it's like, well, you, you played well playing a creepy vampire doctor. Now, here, play a creepy investigator. Also, good music in that game. It's actually done by uh, Olivier Derivier, De who did uh, the soundtrack also for Streets of Rage 4. Oh, and by the way, he also was Victor in Castlevania Lords of Shadow 2, so he can't really escape being a vampire. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, uh, Vampire, not the best game, but still probably the best Vampire game to come out in a while because everything else has been either delayed or shit. Like I said, I I don't mind graphic novel. I mean, video uh, video, ga- video game novels, you know, so I hear people who are into that are into Coteries of New York. I'm just into the lore, you know. I will say this. I can't play uh, the first Bloodlines anymore because um, it's so finicky and buggy on Windows 10. It's like I can't deal with it. I'm, I'm just going to ignore it. I'll, I'll play it again someday when they make a remaster of it. Hmm. Yeah, but as far as Baldur's Gate 3 goes, like. I, uh, I'm happy they're taking their time with it. I'm happy that they're giving it its due diligence. Larian is a really good studio and has earned my trust and I think a lot of people's trust. Um, and I think that uh, eventually, like, it, it, when this game comes out, it stands a good chance of being the game of the year for whatever year it is in. Or at least RPG of the year. I mean, it's a classic. But the thing is that... Um, Fortunately, you know, people have been playing the early access and they're saying, you know, we're really digging this, you know, so it's getting good word of mouth. So Larian's going to be rewarded. I mean, here's the thing. Divinity is divinity. It's fine, but it's not Dungeons and Dragons. It doesn't have the same cachet. Hmm. You know, it's like Dungeons and Dragons is the big boy. And if you do well with it, it's sort of like it's sort of like a developer who really does a great Star Wars game. It's like you you made it. They'll want you to make more of it. Everybody's still waiting for Star Wars: The Old Republic, uh, Star Wars: Knights of the Old Republic remake. Oh, I think they already announced that, didn't they? They didn't announce that, right? Star Wars: The Old Republic. No, that's or the MMO. Star Wars: Knights of the Old Republic. I think they are remaking that. Yeah, isn't that uh, Aspir? It's Bioware. Oh, I thought uh, I thought the Asper Media Group was uh, redoing Knights of the Old Republic. Oh, I mean, Bioware is the original developer. I don't know. Uh, they they might be doing the remake. I don't know. Yeah, that's what I that's what I thought because Asper has been doing a lot of uh, remakes and remasters of the older 
uh, Star Wars games. You know, it's funny is I'm still getting updates about the System Shock One <laughs> remaster. <laughs> I spent a hundred and some odd dollars on that thing. I'm still waiting. Yes, Aspire Media is handling the uh, the remaster of of Knights of the Old Republic. I don't really care about that. I want to see someone remaster Knights of the Old Republic two and fix it because that game was so butchered. It's not funny. From what I understand, Aspire has been doing a pretty good job on the on bringing back the uh, old Star Wars games and giving them a good sheen of polish. Um, so we'll see, like, if, if Knights of the Old Republic remake does good, then maybe we'll see the sequel. You know what I still have? I still have my Dark Forces box and, and disc. That's from back from 1995, the first Star Wars shooter. Which shows about how they got the Death Star plans, or at least the first part of it was. And it was nothing that happened in, in, in that friggin' movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, a lot of people like that movie. I thought it was trash. I didn't like it at all. Rogue One? Rogue One? Yeah, I hated it. It was just trash. That was like... It was the world's biggest fan uh, fan flick, and, and, you know, it's like, I, I couldn't stand it. It was just really bad. Hmm. Anyways. Well, at least it's not as bad as, as the Boba Fett mini, uh, series right now. That is... that is If, if, if Rogue One was trash then the Boba Fett series is a dumpster fire written by people who do not know Star Wars <laughs> or don't know common sense. Well, that's a bummer. Yeah. You can skip it. You can also skip. <laughs> you can also skip the Halos. You know, we haven't talked about it. Um, I finally got to watch some of the Halo, Halo uh, series. Why did they do this? Why did they do this? They made it really gritty in the first episode. And then, oh, everybody acts like their brains were taken out of their heads. And then, as the final insult, they give Master Chief a kid psychic. Why? Hmm. Why would you give Master Chief a kid sidekick? I don't know to be like it, relatable or something. It smells. It's so. It smells like corporate. I mean, you could make it work, really, but the way they made it was. I don't care that they removed Master Chief's helmet. That's fine. I. It's a stupid thing, and also, you know, it's hard to make a get. It's hard to do a series in which you never see the main character's face. But I, the combat was fine, you know, and they made the Covenant really brutal. I mean, they just ex- they're they're refugees hiding in a in not a cave, but you know, in a in a hut, and they just come in and just murder everybody in the hut, just so you know that these these are assholes. But what they did with they made here's the thing, I know that Oni is kind of skeezy and a little evil. They made Oni mustache twirling villains in this one. <laughs> Admiral Keys says, yeah. Master Chief, murder the little girl. We can't have any witnesses. What? Is that what is that is that not what Keys does? It's like, and then they say, "Oh God, it, it, it's just nothing," and it makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And the thing is that you know they could have really done a. 
if they took out all the stupid stuff, I could see where a Master Chief series would be really, really good since they have the budget to do some kick-ass battles. You know? But then they decided, you know what, we need to make this kid friendly. And I, you just had the Covenant just completely murder children and women and old men hiding. And you want to make it kid friendly. Really? Yeah. Either go one direction or go another. Here's the thing. If they had made it completely cartoonish, like, yeah, Master Chief has a kid sidekick. And here's this. You have a you have the Master Chief equivalent of Captain Planet. <laughs> you know, I'm fine with that. Make it completely goofy and kitty and all that stuff. But you can't have one or the other. Either you're doing a gritty, politically complex sci-fi space opera. Or you're doing a kid-friendly uh, space marine uh, thing. You can't have both. Hmm. What's next? You're going to have the little girl ha- be forced to murder a-, a child or something? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I like the fact that they, they're going with the books and the fact that uh, a lot of the Spartans murdered a, a human insurrectionist. That's basically where it comes uh, what, what it revolves around, you know? And that's why they're so feared and but here it's like, yeah, they're that. But guess what? You know, Master Chief's going to be the only one who. who... I do like uh, Halsey in it, though. I, I like the actress who plays her. She's really good. And I'm fine with Chief being not Stephen Downs. You know, I just they just screwed up that entire series. It was everything I feared it would be. Written by people who don't know the series, just like Star Trek Picard, which makes me want to. Punch everybody in the face, including Patrick Stewart. Poor John, De- John Delancey. You can see he hates the script he's working with. He's like, oh, God, this is not Q at all. Q is not like this, but what is he going to do? It's a paycheck, and he's getting old. <laughs> oh, and then they have that new Guinan. They have Whoopi Goldberg in one episode, you know, and she's... They have to give this bullshit reason why she looks so old. Like, oh, yeah, I decided to make myself artificially age... To keep up with humans. No, you don't have to say that. Just, just, you know. But then they have a new Guinan in an alternate universe, and it's like, they couldn't have the hopeful Star Trek. They had to get it somehow into an al- either an alternate reality in this case, not the mirror universe, but an alternate reality in which everything's gone to shit. It's like, we can't have Star Trek be hopeful. We can't have it be hopeful. We can't have, you know, Star Trek was always about a society that's fixed itself and is dealing with stuff that tests it. It's not the Federation is evil and everybody. And this is why we had a nine 11 truth or write our movies. It's just depressing. Hmm. Have either of you watched any of these streaming shows? <laughs> I've watched some of the Mandalorian and I enjoyed it. I just, that's about it. Yeah. That, that, that show is just made to sell a plush toy. Eh, there's more to it than that. Yeah. Look for our show notes at GamingPodcast.net, along with industry news and our gaming history articles. We enjoy feedback. Please comment on our blog at GamingPodcast.net. Also, just up at Facebook.com slash GamingPodcast. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us iTunes comments. You can find me at Jonah Falcon on Twitter. You can find me at Johnny Chugs. And you can find Scott at Charger Moore. And we will see you next week. Have fun. Be cool. Play games, y'all.